you got a Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, this morning. While you're turning there, let me tell you a story I heard a while back. I heard a story about a, a man and woman who had been married for many, many years, uh, but they didn't get along too well. She, uh, she nagged him a lot, and he griped and fussed a whole lot at her. Well, they decided one day they were going to take a trip to the Holy Land, so they hopped on a plane and they flew to the Holy Land, but unfortunately, while they were there in the Holy Land, the wife passed away. And so the funeral director in Jerusalem there came to the man and said, Now, sir, here you got two options. We can either provide a place for burial here for her in Jerusalem. It'll cost you about $150, and we can have a beautiful service for her here right in Jerusalem. Or we can have the body flown back home to your home state, and you can do the burial there, but it'll probably cost you around $5,000. Which one would you want to do? Well, the man thought about it for a little while. He came back to the funeral director and said, You know what? I'm going to have her flown home. And the funeral director said, why in the world would you want to spend all that extra money? We can do a beautiful service for her here right in Jerusalem. Why would you want to do that? And the husband replied, well, many years ago, they buried a man here in Jerusalem. And he rose from the grave three days later. And I just can't take that chance. We've been talking about marriage. We've been talking about how to get through your marriage. We've been talking about last week how God wants to sanctify you through marriage. He wants to make you holy, more like His Son, Jesus Christ, through marriage. Today, I want to study how do you survive marriage. How do we make it through marriage? I want to get a little practical today. I want us to see five choices that we need to make on a daily basis that I believe will help us to make it through marriage. You know, last week, I shared that illustration right at the end of the sermon um, of the pottery, you know, the, the Japanese art form called kintsugi that was the pottery where they, if it was cracked, they would mend it with gold. Uh, we got done with service. I walked out in the lobby after the second service, and a guest came up to me, and he said, you know, he said, Pastor, I really enjoyed your message, but here's the one thing my wife took from that message today. When I mess up, I need to get her more gold. <laughs> and that might help you survive your marriage, no doubt, because marriage can be difficult. I mean, it's hard to live with another person. It's hard to, to survive life with another human being who acts differently than you do, who thinks so oftenly differently than you do. Then you throw in kids, you throw in in-laws, you throw in work and all the other things, and guess what? It gets even harder, doesn't it? And so I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13 at a passage about love. Now let me tell you this. Maybe you're not married today. Um, maybe whatever your situation is, and you might think, well, okay, I can check out. Um, don't, because this is a passage that applies to everyone regardless of your situation. I want to look at it today specifically in the perspective of marriage, but everything we talk about today in relation to marriage is really something we're commanded to do to everyone and the way we ought to love everyone. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray that in all of our relationships today, and especially in our marriage relationships, I pray that we would live this passage. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. First point I want to make this morning in regards to how to survive your marriage is that we must choose to love. We must choose to love. This entire passage here revolves around the definition of that word 
love. That is what Paul is giving us here in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is giving us the definition of love. He's telling us what are the characteristics of a Christ-like love. I heard it said a long time ago by somebody, I can't remember who it was, that when you read this passage, you can really substitute Jesus for the name love here. You can read this passage like this. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude, and so on and so forth. This is a passage that is meant to define what does Christ-like love look like. In that act of demonstrating Christ-like love day in, day out, rain or shine is absolutely essential to the health of your marriage. It is essential to our marriages. In fact, I would say that that the act of loving like Christ is the greatest form of imitation of Jesus that we can do in our marriages to love our spouse like Christ loves. Now, there's something we need to notice here um, that I think when when we come to the topic of marriage is that when I say that we are commanded to, we must choose to love, I'm not referring to romantic love. I'm not even referring to a friendship love here. Now, those things are good. We need those things. We, uh, marriages need romance. They need friendship. They need all those kind of things. But what is commanded here is agape love, sacrificial love, God's love for us, the same love that Christ demonstrated on the cross. We are then called to show towards others, especially our spouses. And so this is not a feeling. This is not an emotion This is not some warm fuzzy that comes up from within you. This is an action. You know, while married couples ought to have romantic love and they ought to have friendship love, this is referring to a love that has been chosen. And if we're going to stay together in marriage, we must choose to love one another even when that person doesn't necessarily deserve it that day. Even when we don't necessarily feel like it. Now, this, this, is a, this is a big point, and if you miss this, you, you might as well just not even listen to the rest of this because you're not going to get it. You cannot succeed in anything else we talk about today if you do not succeed at choosing to love your spouse as Christ loved you. Will not work. You know, I am tired, exhausted, worn out at hearing people, um, hearing of relationships where one spouse or the other will look at the other one and say, I just don't love you anymore. I am so frustrated by that. As a pastor, as a friend, as a man, it, it kills me to no end when I, hear something, when I hear that story that he told me he doesn't love me anymore. He, she told me she doesn't love me anymore, or whatever the situation. And usually it goes like that. It'll, they'll go and they'll say, I don't love you anymore. In fact, I've never loved you. And usually when someone will say that, they're saying that as a way of trying to accuse their spouse of not doing something for them, of failing to be something. But you know what? In reality, if I were to look at my wife and say, I do not love you anymore, that is not an accusation of her. That is an accusation against me. Because in that moment, I am failing to do what Christ commanded me to do. I am failing to do what I have vowed to do. You know, over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, last week we looked at that passage where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the same love there. I mean, someone may look at me and say, You know, Jeff, I just can't act like I love my spouse anymore because I just don't even like them. And it would be a lie. I would be living a lie if I were to act like I love them now. Well, let me tell you, it's not a lie. It's obedience. 
It's obedience to what Christ has called us to do. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. That's not an emotion. That's not a feeling. That is a choice, a command for sacrificial love. And I must be faithful to the command God has placed on my life, regardless if the feelings are there. You know, when you made your wedding vows, you may not have realized this, but you need to understand this now. You were not simply vowing to your present romantic love. You were vowing to a future agape love. When I stood in front of my wife and I told her I'd love her till death do us part, I was not saying, oh, I'll just feel feelings for you. I was saying I will choose to act on love for you till death do us part. And this is what I believe about that. I believe that if we will choose to love even when the emotion is not there, that God will use that to change our hearts. And God will use that to change our minds. God will use that to bring about the feelings. And not only the feelings in me, But I believe that many times God will use that to change the heart of the other person, the one receiving the love as well. I heard a story, a true story, about a woman who came to her lawyer. She wanted a divorce. She told her lawyer, I want out. I'm sick of my husband. I I don't love him anymore. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And she said to the lawyer, you know what? I don't just want to divorce him. I want to hurt him. I want to make him feel it. I want to do something just just to make him hurt, make him feel the hurt that I've felt for so many years. And the lawyer said, well, you know, you're going to divorce the guy anyway. So here's what you do. For the next three months, I want you to be as nice and as kind as you possibly can be. Build him up. Encourage him. Every time he does something nice, tell him how great of a guy he is. Compliment him. You know, and all, just do everything you can to just pour on that feeling to make him think that he's really got your heart. And then after three months, then drop, drop the news on him and it's going to hurt him even worse because he's just going to be totally surprised by it. So the woman said, you know what, I'll do it. Can't go wrong on this. I'm going to divorce him anyway. Why not? Might as well. It'll make him hurt even more. So for three months, she decided she was going to do these things. She was nice to him. She complimented him. She encouraged him. All this stuff. And you know what happened after three months? She fired the lawyer and they went on a second honeymoon. Because the act of choosing to love changed her heart, and it changed his as well. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving if you love, as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. And isn't that true? That if we will simply act like we love someone, so often the Lord will allow the feeling to catch up will begin to genuinely love them, that the actions will lead to the feeling. That can be applied absolutely to marriage, that when you feel like you don't love your spouse, just love them. And you will begin to not only love them by action, but you will begin to love them by emotion and love them by feeling, because the Lord will work through that. But you know what the sad truth is, is the opposite works as well. That if you act harshly towards someone you will grow to hate them more. They found this to be true back in World War II when the Germans were doing such horrible things to the Jews. They began to do those horrible things to them because they hated them. But the more horrible things they did to them, the more they hated them. And it is true in marriage that hatred leads to more marriage, but love leads to love. And so we must first choose to love. Now Paul goes on and he defines what that love looks like and he tells us the next thing we must choose is patience and kindness. And I think these two have to go together. In in verse 4 it says, Love is patient and 
kind. Now, let's be honest. Marriage gives us opportunities. Family life gives us opportunities every single day to lose our patience, doesn't it? I mean, ain't that true? I mean, stuff gets broken. Dishes don't get put in the dishwasher. Clothes don't make it in the hamper. Cars get dinged. Work requires you to work late. Family outings turn into disasters. We've all been there. We've all done that. We've all got the T-shirt. You know, thanks to the effect of sin, life is not perfect. Everything is not going to go the way that we want it to go. And what that means is not only is life not perfect, but you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. And your spouse is not perfect. You might have, on that day of your wedding, you might have stood there and thought, oh, my spouse is just absolutely perfect. But you were wrong. (laughs) I hate to say it, you were wrong. And they were wrong about you because the fall of man has cursed all of us. Genesis 3 has left its mark on every single one of us. And because of that, we must choose patience. We must remember that our spouse isn't perfect. And if I expect them to be perfect, it's never going to end well. And I must hope that they expect the same, or they, they treat the same to me. I mean, we teach our kids the golden rule when they're growing up, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? And we hope that they'll live by that. We hope that that will help to shape their behavior and their character. But if I really believe that, and if I really want my wife to live that and believe that, um, then I have to be willing to, sh- if, I, if I expect her to show me patience you know, when, when I throw my dirty clothes right next to the hamper instead of in the hamper, or when I set the dishes on the counter instead of putting them in the dishwasher that's right there next to it, uh, when I do any host of things that might annoy her and I want her to show me patience for those things, well, you know what I have to do first? Show her patience. I have to treat her as I hope that she will treat me, not treat her as she has treated me. You know, that's a lot of times how we live out the golden rule. Do unto others as they have done to you. It's more of the payback rule, right? But instead, Jesus commanded us to do unto others as you would have them do to you. And so we must choose patience, even if they're not giving patience to us. Now, how do we most often show patience? This is why I said this is connected, because I think it's through kindness. That we demonstrate patience most often simply through the act of kindness. I mean, you can't say you're patient and be rude at the same time. You can't say that you're patient and have a quick temper. You can't say that you're patient and at the same time be lashing out verbal insults. Those two don't go together. Patience requires kindness all the time. And the thing about kindness is this. Kindness is not passive. It is active. We must choose to act on it. It's not enough for me just to simply say, I'm going to not treat my wife harshly. I must instead say, I am going to actively treat her with kindness. It is an active verb. We must be going beyond saying, I'm not going to say rude things, to instead saying, I'm going to say kind things. I'm going to say encouraging things. We must treat them with patience and kindness in real practical ways. My mom told me a couple weeks ago, she was having a conversation with, with Will, one of my boys, and uh, he was telling her about different things at home, and, and he told her, well, you know, my mom, she's, she quit working as a nurse. Uh, she used to work at St. Jude Hospital, and she quit that to come home to homeschool our boys. And, uh, and, and he, he told her, you know, my mom, she quit working, but she don't get paid to work as a, as a homeschool mom anymore. 
And my mom said, oh, I know that. And, and, and then he goes, he said, yeah, but dad's real generous and nice. He shares his money with her. <laughs> I'm doing kind things, right? We must do kind things, choose to do kind things. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Third thing we must choose, we must choose. These three go together, humility, repentance, and forgiveness. Those three go together. I think we have to talk about them together. Verse 4, second half says, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love, it, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Her story a while back about a pastor named Howard Hendricks. He was a seminary professor in Southern Baptist life. And he told a story about how he went to this one church to preach at a, at a, um, at a revival and he finished the service. And when the service got over, um, a young man came up to him and was just praising him. And he said, he said, Dr. Hendricks, you are just a great man. Dr. Hendricks said, well, thank you, young man. And he hopped in the car with his wife. And on the way home, he began to say something like this. He said, a great man. That young man called me a great man. And he looked at his wife and he told his wife, true story, he said to his wife, now, now, honey, how many great men do you think you know? And she responded, one less than you think. (laughs) (laughs) Marriage requires humility. It requires it. It, 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 We have to have it. I talked about it a little bit last week. When we understand that God's purpose for marriage is sanctification, it reminds us that I'm not there yet. But humility is a difficult truth to grasp. I mean, the the fact that I'm not there, that it's hard to get. Um, We always like to think of ourselves as having it all together, right? We always like to think of ourselves as being the ones that are on top of things. We always like to think of the other people as being odd and strange and disorganized and, and, and rude and all those things. But we always tend to think that we're the ones that got it right. But sometimes what's hard to swallow in life, and especially in marriage is what we learn about ourselves when we begin to see our own selfishness, our own lack of patience, our own quick temper. But marriage and love require humility. Because without it, if we're not humble, we're always going to think that our spouse owes us more than what they're giving us. Because we're always going to think that we're greater than we are. We're always going to be saying things like, why can't she just do this? How come she just doesn't know all that I do? Gary Thomas said it like this, in marriage so often we spend so much time on all the pluses and minuses of each other, but we oftentimes will spend all our time on our pluses and on their minuses. Marriage requires humility, and that humility means that we admit our faults, we admit our mistakes, uh, and that at the same time we offer grace and understanding to our spouse for the faults that they have, because they're human too. You know, without humility, we, we won't admit our faults. And in a sense, by doing so, we put up this wall in our relationship and we'll always think that the difficulties in our life are their fault, not our fault. Gary Thomas said, he said, behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies unrepented sin. Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. And I think that is so true. They fall out of repentance because they refuse to admit their faults. They refuse to admit that they've done wrong. They refuse to come to their spouse in repentance and admit that, that they, they've done wrong and that they need to seek forgiveness. I mean, honestly, truthfully, I mean, when's the last time that you said to your spouse, I'm sorry? 
I think if we were honest, we would say we don't say that word often enough. We might admit that we've done wrong, but we'll try to just play it off. We'll just hope that they'll forget. But I'm talking about we, we have to be willing to humble ourselves to the point where we go to our spouse and say, I did something wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? There is healing in those words. There is power in that act. There's restoring work that takes place when we humble ourselves. And, when we, and, and also, too, it, it goes the same way, that not only must we seek forgiveness, but we also must be willing to give forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the motivation there. We forgive in marriage solely because Christ forgave us. That's what drives us. That's what causes us to say, you know what? I'm not going to hold this grudge. I'm not going to continually um, be angry at my spouse because God and Christ forgave me. You know, sometimes if we're honest, I think we'd have to admit that, some, that we're very often more willing to show patience and kindness and, for, to, and forgiveness to co-workers and friends and maybe even total strangers than we are to the ones we love the most. That when it comes to the ones we love the most, so often we'll hang on to grudges and we'll stay angry when in fact what we most need to do is simply to be forgiving as God and Christ forgave us. Fourth thing I think we have to choose is we must choose to sacrifice. In verse 5, it makes that statement there that love does not insist on its own way. We are born selfish. It is true. And if we're honest, we would admit that's a hard habit to break. But marriage requires the act of placing the needs of others ahead of our own. I mean, marriage is going to present to you a whole host of opportunities every single day to exert your will, to want to get your way. From small stuff like dinners and schedules and free time activities to big stuff like house decisions and financial decisions and job decisions and major family decisions. And let me just be honest and truthful here in this moment. I never realized how selfish I was until I got married. And then once I got married and began to live with my wife, I realized the Lord revealed to me just how selfish I could be. How often I could want my way like a little kid. How often I would want to make demands and expect my wife to know things and understand things about what I wanted whenever she would have no clue. And I would selfishly place my wants ahead of her wants. But this is what Jesus said in John 15. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Agape love, once again, choice love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What greater way do I have to imitate my Lord Jesus Christ than to lay down my life for my wife? To choose to love her the way Christ loved me. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
we are called to lay down our lives. If we want our marriage to not only survive, but to thrive, there has to be a conscious choice to put the we before the me in marriage. To, to put the good of the marriage ahead of the good of self. We have to be willing to root out the cancer of self-centeredness in our marriages and say, it's not about me, it's about us. It's about the good of the family. We have to choose to sacrifice. And lastly, I'll say this. We have to choose to have hope. We have to choose to hope. In verse 7, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Marriage can bring a lot of joy. From wedding days to buying your first house, bringing the baby home, and all of those different memories that come along the way. You can have a lot of joy in marriage, but marriage can also bring a lot of heartache, a lot of tears, a lot of pain and sorrow, which is why we must choose to have hope even in the darkest, hardest of days, in the bleakest of times. But here's the thing I, I think we have to remember here. My hope is not in my spouse. My hope is not that she's going to be able to save the day or she's going to be able to do wonderful things, which she does on a daily basis. My hope is in my Savior. My hope is in the Lord. And when I say that we have to have hope in marriage, what I'm saying is that my hope is that Christ can make the mess that we make into something marvelous. That He can take the problems that we create and if we will allow Him to work through us, He can heal us. He can make us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. We must choose, even in the hardest of seasons of life, to have hope that the Lord can work through us if we'll turn our marriage over to Him. We must choose. Choose. To love our spouse. Choose patience and kindness. Choose humility. Choose repentance. Choose forgiveness. Choose sacrifice. Choose hope. That is the love that marriage requires. I found a video I wanted to close with today. I kept trying to think of a, a good example of what this light looks like lived out. And I remembered a video. I can't remember where I saw this before. Maybe Brother Jack showed this here. I, I don't know. But it's a beautiful picture of a couple um, who I believe is a perfect example, as perfect as we can be as sinful human beings, understand, of 1 Corinthians 13 love. Let's take a look at this. I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything. From the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed, I do absolutely everything. Um, I clean her teeth, I shower, dress, everything. And, um, but it's, it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year when we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with, my, with her brother and, uh, 
another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up and she had an A-line dress on and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> When we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was, and that was about five kilometers on a Saturday afternoon, because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her, and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo. And I can still smell it, because that smell was so particular, so nice. It was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike and then Glad had a bike as well and we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that one. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally and I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't have it. <laughs> Any other way? Would you have it any other way? No, no, no. no, not at all. We love each other. Hear what he said. He said, We've loved each other all these years. That's what we're called to share. Not because of what they can give us, because of what he can give us. I was a mess in my office Friday watching that video. It's like I was inflicting myself a torture or something. That's love. Would you pray with me? Father God, you have loved us with a love we cannot measure. And then you have called us to love others as you have loved us. 
And so, Father, I pray that right now in this moment we would stop and we would think about this passage this morning. We would ask ourselves, could the same be said of us that is said in 1 Corinthians 13? Just as we read earlier today that Jesus is patient and kind and Jesus does not envy or boast, could we put our name in that list and say that Jeff is patient and kind and Jeff does not anger or boast? That is the true test of whether or not we are loving our spouse, loving one another as you have called us to love. Father God, I pray as we come to this time of invitation, That if there be someone, maybe it's a couple who needs to come down to the altar and spend some time praying. Maybe they need to find a spot right there in the aisle in their own row and just pray together and recommit themselves to the love they have to one another. Maybe it's an individual here today who says, you know what, I'm not loving Jesus the way I'm called to love him. Maybe there's someone here today who's never experienced the love of Christ. They've never received the forgiveness of sin. Maybe they realize today that that their life is not what it ought to be. I pray that they would understand that Jesus Christ came to show his love for us and he offers us that love. And he's holding out his hand, calling on them to receive the love that he offers. If only they would turn away from their sin and turn toward Jesus as Savior. I pray if there's someone who needs to make a decision during this time of invitation that you would give them the courage to step forth to come down this aisle so that we can talk with them so we can pray with them and encourage them and help them to walk in faithfulness to you and it's in Christ's name we do pray these things